We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me in this episode is Kieran Smith. Kieran is an A-licensed coach, expert in Spanish coaching and training methodology. He's done extensive work in coach education with books, webinars, club visits, has a great online presence as well. Excellent reputation amongst coaches. Really excited to get him on. Our topic is an aspect of the game that has become a talking point amongst coaches in recent times, and that is rondos. What specifically are they? Where should they be implemented? How should they be used and progressed? What are the mistakes that some coaches make, both in their thinking and in their sessions? We've got this coming up and an awful lot of great insight about coach education in general. Love this chat with Kieran. This podcast is brought to you by Total Football Analysis Magazine, helping players, coaches, analysts and football fans all over the world by taking difficult tactical concepts from the top level of the game and breaking them down into easy to understand explanations. Each month, you'll get over 100 pages of pure tactical analysis and coaching, covering topics from all over the world, including the Premier League, Serie A, La Liga, Ligue 1, Eredivisie, and the MLS, and many more. Highly commended by people in the professional game and grassroots, this is a digital magazine that hits the mark, no matter what your level of understanding is. To get 10% off your subscription to Total Football Analysis magazine, head over to totalfootballanalysis.com slash magazine and choose the latest magazine. By becoming an annual subscriber, you'll get at least two editions free over the course of your 12 months, an exclusive newsletter with analysis that only goes to annual subscribers, and an invite to their private Facebook group where you can interact with analysts and continue your learning. Simply choose the annual subscription offer and then the discount code Modern Soccer Coach, all one word, at the checkout to receive your 10% off in the month of January. Total Football Analysis Magazine, you'll never look at a game of soccer the same way again. I've read their first two magazines and it's absolutely phenomenal. Great level of detail. It takes me about a week to get through it. Uh, it's usually one article a day I try to get through. It's absolutely brilliant. So highly recommend coaches get on that. The analysis, the, the diagrams, the pictures, the way they break it down is, is absolutely phenomenal. So highly recommend Total Football Analysis Magazine. Really appreciate them teaming up with us for this episode of the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. So Kieran Smith, Rondos, let me know what you think. Excited to keep this conversation going. I'm sure you'll have opinions on it. Let me know at Gary Kernin at Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. Here he is. Enjoy. Kieran, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Your time for the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Excited to get you on. It's been a long time coming, but I, that's after my my social media hiatus and, and everything else going on, but it's good to be finally on. You know, obviously, I haven't known you probably digitally for, for a long time, especially with your presentations with Inspire. And one of them, you said that you spent seven to eight years watching Spanish training methodology. 
uh, just very curious to see what drew you to that culture because it was at a time before Spanish football was as cool as what it is now. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, I think I got the, the, the Spanish football bug very, very early. I had family who used to, to live over in Mallorca. Uh, my grand moved over there when I was about four or five. So every summer holiday, we went over there. Um, and oddly enough, I think I was 12, 12 or 13. Um, I was just playing with, there was it was like tourists versus locals, just in a, in a local um pitch and one of the Real Mallorca scouts seen me and asked me to go for a trial and stuff like that and then when I went to the trial it was like a game it was like a game I'd never played before like in terms of the way that they played and it was a lot more technical and that sort of thing and I kind of and that suited my style as a as a young player and I just kind of became fascinated with it from there and I'd always as I said oh because I had that kind of connection with my gran and my aunt um and my aunt's husband, my uncle, he's he's from Mallorca. Always had that kind of Spanish connection. And then when I became when I started coaching, one of the big turning moments I went over to, uh, I think it was two thousand and seven. I was um, on a course with the KNVB, uh, the Dutch Football Federation, and on there was a a coach who used to be the assistant academy manager at Valencia, and the academy manager at Villarreal. And every night that we just got on as, as friends. I'm still in contact today. Um, and just, I was fascinated by the things he was telling me and how it was different. And he would just constantly question me. And I think that was it. It just snowballed from there. And then I just consumed every bit I possibly could and went to visit as many clubs and, and that sort of thing. And like I say the fascination just snowballed and then it became a little bit more focused with the study and, and, and that sort of thing. On the Rondo theme then, probably the question you've been asked a million or one times, what's the difference between the Rondo and a keep ball exercise? Well, I mean, I think on the surface there isn't that much, is there? But a Rondo, so I suppose you've almost got three names. You've got keep ball, which is, you know, just piggy in the middle. You've got Rondos and then you've got positional games. Um, A Rondo tends to be your 4v1, 4v2, 3v1, sometimes 4v0 even. Um, Positional games tend to be a little bit bigger like 4v4 plus 3 which is very much in in vogue and has been for for quite a while now um the main difference is or the main difference should be is that with um a rondo such as a 4v2 or a 3v1 there is intention and thought behind it um but like the language is the language like for example when i lived in spain um when the players are coming out after getting changed you say right get yourself into rondos Essentially, it's just warm up while everything's getting set up. It's bit like, so it's it's pretty similar, um, in terms of the language. But a rondo, the, the true definition from there would be that there's some thought behind it, and you're looking for the the first line, second line, third line passes, the, you know, the split passes, and it should really have something which continues throughout the the theme of the session. Really, you talk about a touch limit without restricting players. Yeah. Can you discuss how, well, first of all, how important that is and also then how do coaches implement that in their session? Well, I mean, I think what, what I was alluding to in that with, with regards to a, a, a touch limit is rather than, than mandating it, which, the, you know, the, if it's used correctly, then there's nothing wrong with it, but mandating it, players are constantly thinking about it, whereas if you create the, the, the environment in which you can only have one touch, it's very different. But the thing is, what we don't want to ever want to do is limit players in terms of what happens if a player's really good 
uh, or is, is in a really good situation in which we tell him they can only play one touch, but he's got the ability to maybe put his body in and receive it on the back foot and spin away from that defender who's trying to close him down and then play it off after that. We don't, we, we don't really ever want to limit that. So the, obviously the, the thing is, if you're doing a 4v2, for example, and that's a pretty common rondo, so I'll stick with that. If you've got it 10 by 10 you can probably take two touches, three touches, four touches, especially if the, the defenders have been lazy. But if you do it five by five, it's going to be rapid, the passing. So it's it's more around more around that. And again, it's got to fit in with the session plan. Because the thing is, if you're doing a 10 by 10 square or a 15 by 15, as some people do, and you're working on pressing, you're going to give the defenders in the middle a hell of a time. So you just really need to design it so that it works. You know, and, that, and that's all that that means. So it's... Again, there's nothing wrong. I mean, I've seen people do odd touches, odd touch numbers, like three, or like, and I've, I've done it in Rondos myself, or like a, just a little bit of cognitive training where it's one touch, two touch, um, or we call it one and a half touches. So it's like, say you've got the ball, you've got one touch, you pass to me, I've got two, next player's got one, next player's got two, just in a Rondo. It's just for a bit of fun. But then again, you can see it where a player will just like hit it from one foot to the other and then pass. And that's not really the, the behaviours we want to encourage. It's just designing the, the rondo or the positional game so that if we want it to be played at pace, let's tighten it a little bit and, and make sure that you can't have three or four touches. That's all it is. I've seen your and watched your presentations. You specifically talk about movement and the rondos, even if you're a, a sideline player. But mm-hmm. when you watch a lot of these videos of rondos from coaches that are highlighting the fact that they are doing the rondos, um, yeah. There's not a lot of movement from a yard or yeah. two each side. Why? Why do you think it's been overlooked? Yeah, I think I think that's it's quite dangerous. It's a bit of an extreme adjective to use, but it's it's a bit naive, which is probably just as extreme, but a little bit more rude. Um, <laughs> but it's it's um, everyone's focusing on that split pass. But what when we want to take that into the game? Like my my big thing that I've studied for you know, 10 plus years is positional play. The biggest thing about positional play is affecting the opponent. Now, without that movement, and it doesn't have to be a massive amount of movement, um, you're going to affect the opponent less and less. Yeah, you can affect it with a ball, but how can I affect the opponent with just with my movement? Like, for example, I seen a video a few years ago, and it was a 4v2, again, and it would be that if the ball, say it started at the top of the square, and it went to the bottom of the square city made the split pass the two players on the left on the right would come all the way down in line almost in line with the player who's got the ball now you'll say okay yeah but that's for the split pass yeah yeah but we when do we really ever want our players like that mm-hmm. we don't really ever want to work that so let's say for example that if, if i'm coaching that um and I, I maybe try and create it uh, and 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 put it up or send it over to you. You can put it up to kind of go along with this because it's it's a lot of imagination. But say for example, the, the pass is played from the top to the bottom of the rondo. My players on the side, I'm probably going to so say my players got it on the right foot. For example, I'm going to want the player on the right hand, the the player on the, the the right hand side to come down a little bit closer to the to the boy in, to the player in possession, and the other one to come down a bit, but stay a little bit higher and then the player who made the pass to maybe take two steps to the left so now we've kind of got like a parallelogram type shape um, but it's almost impossible to defend so you're affecting so the, the one player stayed has come close so you're going to drag that defender because that, that defender thinks oh that's a really easy pass I'm going to block that when that player comes to block that you've got that split pass straight through the middle 
which is great. But on the other side, we don't need the other player to come all the way down. We need them to stay, come closer, but stay out a little bit, because then that gives that defender a problem. He can't come in and close that split pass because he knows the pass and go straight over to the left. But if he stays out in the left, he knows the split pass can be made. So now that's and that's exactly what we're trying to create in the game. We're trying to create problems for the defender. So even though when a pass is made, it might be two steps to the left, two steps to the right, but you need to realise that if I'm getting it on the right hand, if, if my teammate's getting on the right hand side and I'm the closest person, I need to come closer. But if I'm on the opposite, I have to stay away. So And then that constantly changes and moves and, and is quite fluid as the ball's been played. And again, because that's exactly what we see when we go in to the match and it doesn't need to as I say it doesn't need to be excessive movement but you can't overlook this movement it just doesn't make sense and again going to the one that's very much in vogue the 4v4 plus 3 you can stay static but you might have to move 2 or 3 feet you might have to take a step back so that you can receive it so that you can play it so you, you can't overlook the movement because we don't stand still it's not table football we're playing it's, it's you know it's real football and things move and there's variables so you need to coach that if you expect it from your players. Can you talk us through the differences in first, second and third line passes? Yeah, so first, so a, a first line pass is a pass that goes to a teammate without affecting the opponent. So say, for example, the, the other side of the, the grid or the space or the circle, whatever it may be, if, I, if you're standing to my left or to my right and I pass it to you just to get rid of the ball, that's a first line pass. Usually we use it to... Um, set the opposition in motion coming towards us. Um, then a second line pass is a, almost like a sideways pass, but goes past a an opposition player. So uh, it might be one, two players over or three players over, but it just it goes past uh, a def- uh, an opposition player, a defender. And a third line pass is, is when we split the two. So that's that penetrative, penetrative pass that we're looking for. In my experience, I've always struggled in, in exercises where there's a lot of mistakes. And, you know, sometimes when you you said about the touch limit earlier, once you highlight something, sometimes you get nothing but that for the next 20 minutes. Yeah. How do you help coach patients with third line passes, balancing that risk in that possession element? I mean, I, you've got to... You've, I, can, I think for me, you've kind of got two examples of that. And I think this improves with time. Um, yes, everyone's looking for the for that split pass when you ask them, or like if, you know, some people put points on it, or you know, however they they motivate the players. Um, it's if you see a player or players attempting it when it's not on, just to get the 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 the, the split pass or the third line pass. It's it's that's the education piece, isn't it? It's kind of stop it for ten seconds and say, was that pass really on there? No. Okay. What other pass could you have played? Okay. If you played it over there and got it back, could you then play that pass easier? Yes, you could have. You know, because sometimes it, uh, players are very literal or, or within your squad, you might have very literal players, right? So it's all about understanding the people that you're working with. So you might say to a player, why did you play that pass? Oh, you're looking for that pass. Do we need to try it every time? Oh, no, but I thought that's what you wanted. Okay, so now you're getting to understand that player's thought process as well. It's, I want it when we can do it. And I'm very much, uh, uh, my type of coaching is layering in terms of, so I might say, um, 4v2, looking for a split pass, go. Then let it go. See what the mistakes have been made. Is it the same for each group if you've got three or four groups doing it? Is it, you know, in one group, is it, they can't string three passes together. Is it one group they're constantly trying to play it through? Is it one where the defenders aren't aren't working hard enough, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So it's it's about understanding who you're working with, um, 
and then for me I layer it up so I might stop I won't stop the whole group or maybe I won't stop all three groups I might stop one and say okay you keep trying that split pass and it's not working what what else could we do it might be the defenders are not working harder than the other one okay you might say okay if they do play a split pass you've got five push-ups or you know whatever it may be um, and then the, the pace gets up and then it's more difficult to play the split pass etc etc so um, I think it's it depends on what you're looking for in the outcome. Again, it's it's. I've been very lucky to work with some very very good players, and after a short intervention, they kind of get why they need to be patient, but not always. And again, sometimes it's just questioning a player on why they made a decision, and then sometimes they just say, "Oh, that's what you want." I was doing it, and it's just about um, educating them around that. It's a good good topic. This on on stoppages because. You know, we're all trying to develop this player intelligence aspect. Yeah. You know, in your experience of watching sessions in Spain, do they stop it more? Do they stop it less? Is there a way they do it? Um, I wouldn't. I would say that they stop it more than the UK. The UK have, have almost, in, in my experience or in my recent experience, have become not frightened, but they've become a lot more cautious of, of stopping and coaching players even. It's all about player empowerment and creating thinking, you know, problem-solving players and thinking players. And that's all well and good, but sometimes you have to remember some of these coaches are working with 9 and 10 and 11 and 12-year-olds where they still need some coaching. That's why we're there at the end of the day. And again, I think it's in Spain, certainly there's a lot more ongoing coaching in terms of throughout um, general points or maybe speaking to an individual player. But again, if you're set up in positional games, you might have two of them going. It might be a case of stopping it. Um, I think there are a lot more. There's a lot more information given in Spain, certainly, um, but that fits in with their culture in general. Um, they they have a very command type culture, both at school and um, and in football. So I think it fits in with that. And I think if you understand the culture you, and your players more specifically, you know when you need to get involved. If someone makes one mistake and you want to. You want to correct every individual mistake. That's too much. But if you see one player do something three, four, five times, whatever your limit is for that thing, it's put onto one side, stop the session, whatever it is. I mean, I, I don't think there is a magic number. I know you've, you've got these sorts of things on coaching courses and, and that sort of thing. But I think if you're working with a team, you, you, you kind of get to know what, what suits them. Like for me, I, I when I first worked with my team in, in Barcelona, a club called Europa, um, I was very honest with them in the, the first meeting that we had. I said, look, I'm I'm going to apologise up front because the first week to 10 days, maybe two weeks, I'm going to be talking a lot because we've got a lot to get through. And I was very lucky that I had, I had, I had sessions every single day, double sessions twice that week. So I had, But I said, look, as the time goes on, as the sessions go on, I'm going to speak less and less, but I'm asking you to bear with me at the start. So again, it's setting the expectations from the players. And, it, and I was true to my word, it got less and less and less. So um, nah, certainly in Spain, they have a lot, certainly, I would say, a, a lot more hands-on when it comes to stoppages and coaching. You talk about progressing from technical to tactical rondos. Do you think... Yeah coaches spend too much time on the technical and risk boring the players without ever getting to the tactical? Um, well, I mean, I think that probably depends on the individual coach, to be honest, because you've got the information that's being given. And again, it's it's got to progress. You can't keep players doing the same thing over and over again. Everyone gets bored. You and I would get bored with that, right? 
Um, are you so, saying are you saying that you can't play four v four plus three for a whole season? <laughs> no, I mean some people do, and I've been surprised at some of the conversations I've been uh, I've been um, involved in recently on 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 Twitter. But I mean, can you do it? Yes. Is it a fa- is it good for the players? Uh, in, in terms of they enjoy it, probably. Does it match the criteria of every single session? No. Just because you do it, does it mean that you're going to play like a Guardiola team or a Barcelona team or a you know like that? Just because you do that one exercise doesn't mean anything. It's got to have relevance to what it is that you're doing. That if relevance has got to be key. I mean, I'm a massive fan, massive proponent of the four v four plus three, but it's got to fit well. If I'm working on defending, why am I doing it? There's other technical and uh, and and tactical positional games or rondos that I can do that's going to be better. You know, if I'm working on transition, brilliant. It's a fantastic exercise. What if I'm working on just out of possession? Do I need to do it? No. I don't need to do it. I need to do something else. So, it's yeah, it's it's got to do with the. You can certainly can you bore players absolutely. And the thing is, I've seen people just go right four v two rondos and just leave people for leave players for twenty five minutes, and not do really much coaching other than laughing if someone gets to ten passes. That's not coaching. That's just you know babysitting players. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's quite different. You mentioned culture there. Let's go back to that. How much does culture play a role in this type of football? In the US, we see pressure as a bad thing. Here comes the pressure, get rid of the ball. Outside looking in, it looks like the UK is changing from that. Spain sees pressure as an opportunity. It looks like from outside looking in to play through and exploit. Do you see a difficulty in your journey in Spain, UK, US? Do you see a a difference in how cultures look to educate players and how they define what pressure is? Yeah, I mean, I think culture definitely plays a part in it because most teams kind of play the same way. But like when I played, uh, sorry, when I played, when I coached in Spain, every team pressed, every single team pressed, every single team pressed like Barcelona, like the way that the, the, the famous Barcelona team did, they all tried it, they all were in your face, they all did this. So it's, you just have to see it as an opportunity, but at the same time, again, it's always about not limiting players. Like if you're constantly passing the ball out and losing it, doing the same thing, something has to change. You have to adapt, and that doesn't mean you have to go and punt the ball long every time. Although you may choose to do that, that might be what you want um, to give your defenders a bit of a a, a cognitive rest. Do you know what I mean? Like rather because no one, no defenders like losing the ball all the time that close to goal. So, but you have to solve that problem. With, with the, the pressure, like obviously the, the stereotype or certainly what I've seen in my limited time in the US is teams just want to win. Sort of put big, fast, strong players up top, try and try and rob the ball, try and get possession and then score. That's fine. That's what their game plan is. And if that's, you know that you're going to, or you see it during the game, then you have to adapt to that. And then that's when you become better as a coach. So that's a problem that you have to solve or help your players solve that. Um, I mean, you've got things like the the retreat line and stuff like that, and I think there's only certain places in the US that have got it, or certainly it was when when I was working with some clubs over there, um, and I know they had it in academy football in 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 the UK, but um, yeah, I think that's good because you want players to be able to learn to play it from the back. But I mean, you're going to get pressure. You're going to get pressure as soon as you play an actual game. So. Um, yeah, I think that there's two extremes to it. It's oh, people are going to press. Let's just kick it long every time, which again is you, you don't really want. Um, or they're going to. I'm going to play it from the back the same way. 
in spite of the fact that I'm going to be pressed and lose the ball every single time. That's two extremes, but it's the same outcome in terms of players are not going to learn. So you just have to, I think you just have to be careful of that. You mentioned earlier just a couple of questions ago about the I mean having a laugh whenever someone got ten passes and said that was yeah. that was babysitting. Heard a, a great uh, you know, they were talking just at the end of the Martin O'Neill era, the Irish journalists were criticizing how they went to watch the national team and they were laughing and joking during their rondos. They said that Manchester City it's, it's everything they do is super serious. Can you talk about the mental focus that you need to play this style of football? And do you think that in order to do that, it needs to be that type of mentality or that type of culture where it's, you know, the boots are on, let's get serious? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I, I didn't see the, the rondos in question, but I think that you've got a rondo as a warm-up, which should be a bit of fun because the players are getting together and they're just getting out and, you know, they're just warming up and it's that. But when it comes time to work, it's time to work, right? And, and that's what we need. Um and there should be, a, in my opinion, there should be a marked difference between that, you know, eight versus two warm up, and you know, going into the the rondo, the positional game for the session. That doesn't mean that you can't have fun, but at that point, you're training. You should have a role and a responsibility within that rondo. You should understand our positional game. You should understand what that means for you, for your, well, if your teammate gets the ball. What does that mean for me? If I've got it, what what should they be doing? You. You, you you can be good and you can be bad at rondos, right? It's not just keeping the ball. There's, you can understand when to move, as we discussed earlier. You can understand, right, I'm just going to put my foot on the ball for a second if the defenders are not coming and quickly move it or whatever it may be, right? There's, there's a million and one different things that go on in it, whether it's a 4v2, 4v4 plus 3. Um, it, it, just, it doesn't really... Um, it doesn't really matter. It's it's you've just got to have that marked mindset between doing really well and and having a bit of fun. There's nothing wrong with it. You've worked with a lot of coaches and a lot of clubs. Where do you think coaches get it wrong when it comes to implementing rondos into their training sessions? I think the biggest thing is something we've already touched on is is just implementing them for the sake of implementing them and not really knowing why they're doing it. I mean, I think the the biggest things with any exercise is, oh, that looks good on social media. Or that looks, you know, that's a Guardiola, that's a Mourinho, that's a Sari is the new one mm-hmm. that everyone's after. That's a Bielsa drill exercise, whatever it is. I mean, it, that doesn't matter. Does it fit in with what you're doing in terms of your overall scheme? There's nothing wrong with doing these exercises. I'm sure there isn't from a from an individual exercise point of view. But us as coaches, we've got to do it. You've got to know what you're looking for when you do a rondo, which I would still say seventy five percent of people don't. I would say that it's got to you know you've got to be able to progress it, which seventy five to eighty percent of people don't know how to do. You've got to know how to take that exercise, layer it, put it onto another exercise, and then how you what you're looking for when it comes to your small sided game or your phase of play, which again seventy five percent of people don't really understand what to do, and it's not. I think it's 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 more it's just a, it's just an education piece. People want to go, okay, I've got this this session plan. I'm going to do this, but what does that mean? How do, how are we how what are we coaching? What do do I know what I'm looking for? Um, and we've all done it. Yeah, I'm, I've certainly done it when I first started coaching. It's like this this is so and so's 
um, Drew, I'm going to do this. And it might look lovely, but I've not really coached anything. I've not really done anything. I might go from doing a possession exercise to a counter-attacking exercise to a finishing exercise. You know, like, it's, it, but it's, if we're truly trying to coach and look at long-term coach development as well as player development, it's how does this fit into the bigger picture? Um, and I would still say, in my experience, that, that people people don't really understand or know how to do that. It's getting better, but I would say it's getting better slowly because it has been around. You think the, the Guardiola era at um, Barca started in 2008 um, and people are still mesmerised by it, but they're mesmerised by videos of people keeping possession. They're not really looking at the coaching points quite as quite the same. And like you say, you, you've seen videos yourself where people are not working on movement or not working on anything other than keep the ball, which is a shame. I mean, well, what's the first step in this education piece? Because if if you go through philosophy, and, I, and mm-hmm. I've done this with, with the mentorship program, you know, you, you, you bring 20 people together and you say, all right, well, let's work on our philosophy or our, our model play. Well, you get 20 very, very idealistic football, which then it's all yeah, yeah. copy, paste, pep. So when, if philosophy isn't the start of it, or is it the start of it, what what is? Yeah, I was very similar to Simon Sinek is why? Why am I doing this? And if, if, if this is something I truly wholeheartedly believe in, I need to make sure I've got as much education on it as possible. I need to know everything I possibly can. And that's different for different people because everyone's at a different stage in their learning or, or whatever it is. But you have to reflect, honestly, truly, what what is it that I don't know? What am I not picking up? Can you record that? Dude, I mean, one of the biggest things I implemented after probably about three years of coaching was genuinely evaluating myself after each session and be like, did that actually go as well? I've got, I've I I just moved house, but I had notepad upon notepad of, um, of of sessions and then the next page was evaluation I had about I don't know 25 of them and my missus was going absolutely mental because we're moving to a, a, a modern house with no storage space so um, she was like you need to throw these away which I got rid of a lot of stuff but these are from like 2010 2011 just you know evaluating did this go and then when you get that evaluate, when you do that evaluation okay so this bit was missing how do I build on that? Where do I get? Who's got that information? I honestly, in my time as a coach, I must have been to whether it's in Spain, Holland, UK, America. Doesn't matter. I must have been to about I don't know three hundred football clubs, easily three hundred, probably more than that. I probably went three hundred in Spain when you took a look at all the amateur clubs, and it's having that conversation. Yeah, we've got things like Twitter and stuff like that, but don't just take it and write it down or copy the drill. Like, ask why. If there's a bit, ask the question. There's plenty of people out there that have got the information, whether that's on counter-attack, possession, defending, it doesn't matter. You know, you've got books out. I've got a Rondo's book. I've got, there's, there's, there's information out there. It's just, be honest with yourself. Do you actually know what it is you're looking for? Why are you doing it? And how do I take this one Rondo that I really like and fit it into my overall plan? You've got to have a philosophy or a belief in how the game is played. Because if you're playing it just so that people pray, if you're using like this positional play or or possession based style, just so that you know you don't get criticised, or just so that you look good in front of your mates. That's that's not the right idea. You're never going to stick to it, and you're not going to have the passion to go and learn about it. How do we get more depth in our coach education when it comes to that? Is, is it our uh, our coaches going to do it by themselves? Should they be put on planes in their education and have to do a six month sabbatical somewhere? Or what's your thoughts on that? 
You've, you've just you've got to take ownership of it. Let me give you an example. Last year, last year, I did, and the start of this year, I did. Was it no? So last year, the, the year before, I did some webinars. So I probably had. So this was on positional play, and I probably had. I don't know, maybe three hundred coaches go through it. Maybe less than that. I could be. I could be wrong. Maybe two hundred and fifty. At the end of every single webinar I did, and every single coach got it, I gave. Um, homework. I'm not a business. I'm a coach, and I said, "Here, do this exercise. Send it to me, and you and I can converse about how you've gotten here." So it was pick a pick a a, a phase of play. Sorry, a a principle. One of the, the one of the concepts from positional play, and tell me how you would put a a, a preseason session together, and or a preseason week and what sessions or what exercises you would use from 250 coaches maybe 300 i got one person who sent it back to me mm. one now I, I i as i said i'm not a business i'm that's not my full-time job i was prepared to do that i'm so passionate about it that i wanted everyone to have the information the problem is when people did the webinar now i know my information is sound i know that i've got it from years and years of on the ground but I think a lot of people still this is just look at some sort of coach education or buying a book as a tick box ex- tick box exercise. So someone had done the webinar. Okay, now I know about positional play. It doesn't work like that. I'm very honest. Like if you've seen the Inspire one, I say I think at the start and at the end, I've been talking for an hour and a half and I've covered less than ten percent of what this takes. Do you know what I mean? Like that that's the t- sort of ownership you've got to take. Like and some and some people do right. You. You've done it. I've done it. You've got to take ownership of your own learning. But if you like, as I say, that's that's a shocking statistic of one from two hundred and fifty to three hundred coaches actually sent me the exercise. I mean, that's not people taking ownership. That's people taking boxes. Yeah, it's it's so ironic, isn't it, that we've come around this and it looks as if we've gone off track. But I I don't think we have because we're talking about a a, a style of football or a brand of football that. A lot of coaches are quick to say doesn't work because the players aren't good enough. But yeah, what you're challenging and and you mentioned at the start that you you were coming back to to Twitter and you've been, you know, I wrote down one of your quotes where you recently said that coaches in your experience weren't pushing themselves or even trying to learn, and you referenced the resistance to rewatching games. So mm-hmm. I'm right in saying that. It's not just a, a cliche. Coaches must lead the way, but we've got to be doing more here, right? A hundred percent. Like so, my, that conversation came from, um, on my kind of rant on the subject came from me being involved in a conversation or tagged into a conversation about U.S. coaches and stuff like that. Now, I my compared to someone like yourself, my U.S. Um, experience is, is minimal. I went worked over there for two months, um, a couple a few years ago, and um as director of soccer for a camp and then I've been um, consulting with clubs like five, four or five different clubs in the US mm. and I've gone over there a couple of times and done coach education both pr- the presentation side of it and the theory side of it and um, on the field um, sessions both with, with a few clubs over there um, and it was it was quite scary like a lot of them don't watch football in general Um so they'll talk about the Barca's and stuff like that. So they don't watch football in general. So their their um, exposure to it is is a lot less than than certainly how I grew up in coaching. Um, I would say that the, the again the, the evaluation piece isn't there. Um, 
the, the, what the strangest thing for me, so when I was consulting, I would help write the curriculum and stuff like that, but I wouldn't just write the curriculum. I would have to write every single session, every single coaching point, um, how to progress, which is absolutely fine. Right? That's what I was being paid to do. But there was like, you say you want an academy job in the UK, you very rarely do you get given a session. Like you get given a topic and you have to create the session and then someone gives you feedback on it. Yeah, you might check it with people and stuff like that, but um, to be given, to be spoon-fed sessions and stuff like that, I mean, coaches aren't learning. And I think that's massive. With you coming over here and saying, like, that's not the right way, were you met with any resistance to be like people like, yeah, but that's the way we want it? Um, it was, I don't know that resistance, I think the... All the clubs I worked with, they all had desires of getting it to the point where coaches could come up with their own session plans based on a curriculum, but they all felt that the coaches weren't there, the education wasn't there. When when you're talking about clubs now, because they are so big over here, and I'm sure there's a lot of clubs and a lot of club directors are sitting thinking like, yeah, there's five of us that really want this. Yeah. And 10, 15 of the old guard or whatever don't want it. I mean, what's your advice to getting those people on board without, you know, having the luxury to fire them and that there might not be enough coaches in the area? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's all about buying. It's, if, if you're setting the philosophy, it's no different at a football club as it is to a business or, or, you know, as a coach going into an individual team, you do need to get that buy-in. And it's sometimes about, again, It's you don't get buy-in for it because of the education side of it. So it's getting everyone together. And I, I did that when I went over to, to Washington, for example. They put on the coach education for all the coaches. They said, come along, ask the questions. You know, the, the club put it on, they gave them every opportunity. And I think before it even get, you've just got to um, get everybody's buy-in. And it's almost a case of, you, you've got, this is what we're doing. Um why don't you agree with it? Let's chat about it. Because you, you, know, you can't really force people to be passionate about it. Um, yeah, you've just got to get a buy-in and show them why. And some, if you just tell someone to do something, it's different from letting them understand why you want it done like this and why they should why they should do it. So it's an, ex- an explanation thing. The Spain team that was criticised in the World Cup, too much possession, not enough penetration. What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think obviously they had a, a very difficult um, start to the World Cup because um, they fired the manager and stuff. But I think that's a criticism of a lot of different teams um, who just focus on possession. Youth teams, professional teams, everyone. I think it's just one of those things where if you lose your train of of why you're doing it, it's very easy to get caught in a caught in a cycle of just keeping the ball and the thing is it just becomes boring right and 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 nobody wants to watch it and you've just got 80 percent possession in the ball but you're not going anywhere so yeah it's, it's it's very true very easy for it to be done as well when i think if you're trying to implement a kind of positional place that type of um style and you don't have all the concepts down it's very easy just to get you know, cutting that U shape from full back to centre back to centre back to full back, and it never really goes anywhere. But yeah, it's it's pretty common for that to happen, and that team was certainly guilty of it. And if Spain can get it wrong at some stage, then there's rest of us. But but humbling, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, and and it's 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 tough. I mean that that's that sort of style takes time. 
and patience to implement as well, when that's something that no national team really has. And that's a lot of new players coming in, older players not playing, you know, the people who could guide other younger players through, you know, so that's why it happened with Spain, but it, it's so easy for it to happen. But again, say, for example, you're, you've been used to, you know, you've been doing well with a positional play type of game, and then it just becomes possession, mm-hmm. that's when you go back and you... Have to rewatch matches. What what's changed? What you know? Evaluate everything and go back and, and fix the problem. But if you just keep doing the same thing, you keep getting the same outcome. Football now, you know, it's kind of gone from now possession at the highest level. Positions are are rotating at speed uh, so naturally, and in in possession and out of possession. Whenever you're trying to coach that now with teams, and you're trying to have a little bit more flexibility in your system, can you do that with? Rondo, do you have to be more creative with session design, or how do you think you do that? Well, I mean, I think you always, if if the, the best thing that you can, anyone can do is design their own sessions for their own style of play, right? That's 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 the the pinnacle. If we can sit down and have the time and the patience and the the foresight to be able to do it, that's exactly what you want. But um, yeah, I mean, you can you can get all manner of, of position. The, the thing is, with Rondo's and positional games. Like the, the sessions that I've done where it's like 8v8 plus 8 and it's a massive square and it's, you know, the team in possession. So two teams in the square and one on the outside and the team in possession is working with the team on the outside and you can work on so many different things with it. You can work on interchange of positions. You can work on up, back and through. You can work on switch and play. You can work on dribbling, you know, getting the ball and you have to dribble through. There could be gates in there. There's, like, it's it's what your imagination is. As long as it fits the purpose of what we're working on, fits the, the purpose for the players, it's exciting. I mean, you, you can really, as I say, if you design what you want and, and what you need, then... That's that's exactly what everyone's looking for. And the last one, you you taught you touched on it a little bit before, just with coaches doing a little bit more. But I'm sure there's young coaches out there that that want to play a brand of football, uh, mm-hmm. like you see in the Spanish Spanish football and Man City and these teams. You know what's what's step one? Do, are you ready to to do that? Like you've got to understand it first as a as an individual before you can start to coach it. Um, yeah, just read as much as possible and and watch as many games as possible. I mean, we've all got access now through YouTube and whatever else to old Barcelona games or old Bayern Munich games or whatever. You've got to watch it. Can you recognise it? Do you know what you're looking for? Because if you don't know what you're looking for or understand at the highest level with the likes of Messi and and people like that or the Bayern Munich players or the Manchester City players... um, how are you going to be able to coach it? You need to first be able to recognise it and understand what it is and then be able to coach it. It's You can't do one without the other, unfortunately. Top class. Kieran, thank you so much. No problem. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much to Kieran for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, a lot to get through there. Uh, as always, there's there's a couple of things for me just at the end of it, what I took away. Number one, just the way he communicates in a really polite way, his beliefs, and he doesn't need to attack anyone or he doesn't need to fight at any critics. He is calm and open-minded about how he believes the game should be played and how he believes it should be trained. And I think in today where... You know, there's a lot of noise on social media and there's a lot of people attacking one another. I think, yeah, Kieran does have some strong opinions on there, but he's always respectful to other coaches and he's respectful that 
you know, context can change the way things are delivered or the way things are interpreted. And I really enjoyed the way he, he put that across in that interview. The second and the most important thing for me is is that piece of taking ownership for your learning and just the detail of the detail of Kieran's depth of knowledge is pretty consistent with the level of work he's undergone to get that there. And, you know, he said 300 clubs that he's been to in Spain and his visits. He's worked at it with clubs. He's visited. He doesn't just study and read about it. He's gone out there and he's sat in stands and he's watched practices. He even said he watches amateur practices. And I think that's a really, really good tip for coaches where, you know, we should all be reading. And he's dead right if there's a soccer book out there on coaching. And I'm not just saying this because I write a couple of them. But, you know, we should be reading every soccer coaching book we can get. And we should be trying to watch as many sessions as we can get to. And we should try to talk to as many coaches working at higher levels that we can get access to. And we should try to watch as many games live as we can watch. Because that's where the gold is. That's where you learn. And that's where you can build a bigger bank of knowledge or or increase the depth of your understanding. And you can get into more discussions and and you can take it to another level. And in essence, that's what Kieran's saying with, with Rondos and positional play it's it's the depth where coaches he said 75 percent of coaches don't know how to x well that x is usually taking it to another level and you've got to know how to progress it you've got to know how to layer it as he called it well how are you going to know how to layer something if your learning isn't layered if you're just taking a book or you're just taking a tweet or you're just taking a 30 minute show that you're watching you need to take every level of knowledge that you can grasp and then you need to go out and work at it and you need to go out then and jump on a plane or or go to practices or go and meet coaches and I think that's a really really good thing to promote for for coaches of all areas really enjoyed that would love to know what you think at Gary Kernine on Twitter, at Gary Kernine on Instagram. We are up in Chicago next week for the Modern Soccer Coach Roadshow. Hope to see you up there if you're a coach and you're in Chicago for the convention. Feel free to reach out at Gary Kernine on Twitter. Shoot me a direct message or email Gary at modernsoccercoach.com. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great 2019. All the best. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.